Welcome, friends, to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. I am your host, Curtis Kopotic, and I am joined by my co-host, Amber Brown. Hey, Curtis. Hello. So, Amber, I would like to ask you, when did you first learn that OSHA existed? Oh, dear. Off the top of my head, I'm going to probably have to say back in um, my undergraduate when I was working on an athletic training degree, probably in that class, it's like athletic training management or something like that, where you learn all of the rules and what you should have in your athletic training room and those kind of details. I'm sure OSHA was probably thrown in there somewhere back then. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's how most people's experiences. It's very, you know, here's a little sprinkle of it, but uh, when did you learn that OSHA is a big deal? Oh gosh, definitely in the last eight months since I've started this current position, working in the industrial setting, making sure we're following OSHA rules and recording things how OSHA wants us to. It's a bit of a head spin, to be very honest. It really is at first because there's just so many rules and things to keep track of. So today's interview is going to be with Forrest Richardson, and he is the director of the safety division at Fit for Work. And he is also, then this is really cool, an authorized OSHA outreach instructor for both general and construction industries. So the the thing I've learned about OSHA, and you'll hear a lot of this, is it's a big, huge elephant at first, but as soon as you get those regulations down, and so he's a a great resource. So we're going to jump into this interview. And unfortunately, Amber wasn't there with me. We missed you. But here's the interview with Forrest Richardson. So Forrest, we appreciate your time, and it's a little strange interviewing you just solo, but uh, hopefully we can have just as much fun even though Amber's not here. Yeah. First question sure. that I have for you, do you consider a hot dog a sandwich? Yes or no, and why? E, that's a good question. I would say yes. Okay, why? Because you have you have the protein in the middle of two pieces of carb <laughs> bread, uh, right? So <laughs> it meets my technical definition of a sandwich. I, it's something nobody thinks about, but hopefully we get some deep thoughts going from that one. Yeah, my <laughs> wife, my wife may differ on her opinion, but <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, so if we could just get from you a quick overview of what your position is and what your purpose is with Fit for Work. Sure. I'm currently the safety division director for Fit for Work. And so our role here is just to help uh, clients and people get into compliance with the different regulatory agencies out there, primarily OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, Department of Transportation as well, and environmental. So anything for the from the EPA side of things. So that's kind of what our role is. Wow, that is a big scope. It is. It's it's pretty challenging, but uh, we, we enjoy it. Good, good. Well, you, you would need to to have that because I'm sure keeping up with OSHA is hard. I, I had no idea OSHA even existed until I was about 23 working construction, and and somebody had informed me of it. I, you know, this, thought it was a small town in Wisconsin type joke. <laughs> so, what what are some of those? Now that I've learned so much more about it. What are some of the expectations that a company such as, or the organization such as OSHA is going to expect to have at their companies? Sure. Um, from a 50,000 foot view, they, they basically expect employers to provide a workplace that's 
free from recognized and foreseeable hazards. And for those of you uh, joining in on this podcast that have some experience with that, you, you've already heard kind of some of their specific duty clauses, uh, the general duty clause specifically is referenced that way. But at a 50,000 foot view, just have things planned and organized and follow through and, uh, and provide for that. So how they really break that out into is four essential elements. So the element one would be employer commitment and employee involvement. Those two are specifically worded together. And so what they really mean by that is, is you know, the employers dedicate the time, the training needed to get into different things and solve uh, reasonable and foreseeable hazards that are going on there and make permanent corrective actions. So the second thing on that side is the employees. You know, what do they mean by employee involvement? Well, there's a lot of things that go on with that and a lot of great opportunities. Suggestion programs, your awards, your incentives. And we actually, in reference to our previous uh, work site, our website, uh, postings on work orders as incentive programs and kind of the key to that. So if you're looking for a little uh, good information to spice up uh, your safety work order system and get people out there doing the right things and incentivize them for for the right things, I highly recommend taking a look at our website for that. So there's, there's, there's some free information there. But with employees, what a lot of uh, employers don't take advantage of is the job safety analysis process. So I just want to briefly mention that under this one first element as an opportunity for our listeners out there. Are we really taking advantage of our job safety analysis process, identifying the hazards and engaging our employees and and getting all of that great information that they have and, and using that as a process for the employees to be involved in the, in the safety and health program of their site. That right there alone would solve that whole requirement. That's interesting. So, that, so OSHA wants you to, as an employer, to make sure that you are involving your employees in some way of safety because th- that's interesting. I didn't know that that was something that they encouraged or expected was that employee involvement. So by this process, you're able to get them to help you assess those dangers that might make OSHA angry. Absolutely. Yeah. The whole thing is about engagement. And we talk a lot about that from our on-site early intervention services as well. It's just, uh, and it works unilaterally across the board, just engaging employees at every level from a leadership standpoint and a process standpoint within your own your own business. So yeah, that that's critical. And that's where the passion comes from. That's what it's really all about. We're talking today about some elements of safety programs, and I, I don't want to get off track too far there, but, but it really is about people, you know, and the compliance part of it should come on the other side of the equal sign or the equation. Definitely. The second element would be work site analysis. So the first one being employer commitment and, and employee involvement. The second one element would be worksite hazard analysis. That's just going out and finding and fixing things. That's just looking around your building or your processes, you know, looking site specifically. And OSHA doesn't really say how often you you need to be doing that. So if you're looking for a specific, like, when do I do this? It's not in there. So they really look at it based on conditions of change and the severity of risk for your businesses. So, for example, a grocery store or a construction site. You know, we know that people slip and trip in grocery stores all the time and construction site hazards change by the very nature of their building mm-hmm. things that are never the same thing every day. 
they probably would be expected to do some type of a worksite walkthrough daily. Um, another example for like weekly would be maybe warehouses, a manufacturing plant, transportation, truck yards and things. And then maybe monthly for other office areas or storage areas where you don't have a whole lot of activity. So those are some good ideas to kind of when should I be looking at things. So what is number three that people should focus on? So the third element would be hazard prevention and controls. And that really follows a, a pre-existing hierarchy. So obviously OSHA wants us to eliminate the hazard permanently the first time if we can. If we can't, maybe we substitute that hazard for something that's less hazardous. And this is typically done when you're dealing with different chemicals that people are working around or with in the, in the workplace. So chemical substitution is a pretty good go-to for that. Uh, the third stage of that is engineering controls where you physically you know, put a box around it or you put a guardrail on that exposed leading edge or something like that. Um, and then the fourth one would be administrative controls like procedures, job rotation and things like that. And then ultimately at the very end, then you're allowed to use personal protective equipment. So a lot of times in the real world, just because of time, resources, planning, limitations, people go right to personal protective equipment or they might put in a procedure or something like that. And that's, that's okay in the interim, but long-term they really need to be thinking about that hierarchy we just mentioned. Right. So it's not about just here's some better cut resistant gloves. It's, are you setting it up to where you need to put your hands near the knife anyways? Exactly. Exactly. Okay, great. Uh, next one. The last element of that requirement would be training. And the main takeaway here is it's not a one size fits all and it never is completely perfect, but you want to get a few things right. Obviously, you want to look at all levels of training that you might need, uh, the lowest being general awareness. You know, just generally, this is what lockout tagout is. Generally, this is what your spill prevention plan is, things like that. The next level up would be what OSHA deems in several regulations as competent person, that being the person that knows that regulation and knows how it applies at that site. And that's typically assigned to maybe managers or supervisors that are over a certain safety program at your facility. Train the trainer level might be something to consider. Um, we always recommend that. Uh, let's train your folks to handle it and empower them to do it themselves. So not only do they know the regulation and they're the competent person, they actually have the skills to actually train on it effectively. So that would be another level. And obviously leadership in any form, executive leadership, they need to kind of understand what their responsibilities are key or line mid-level managers need to understand what they're generally what they're responsible for in their areas, things like that. So that would be levels of training, frequency of training, uh, new employee orientation. We always talk about, we need to get them right into the door. So oftentimes we see clients call us in to help with training and they don't really have a robust new employee orientation program that has the capacity to cover everything right up right up at the front before they ever release them to the floor or to those hazards. So right up front, they're already kind of behind the power curve. So we always focus on stopping the hemorrhage, if you will, to use a, a medical term of that lack of training. You can't, you're just, you're just trying to keep up with it and you're pulling people off the floor, you're disrupting production. So if you're really in a, a crossroads of where do I start, look at your new employee orientation, get it right first, stop the hemorrhage on your floor, people being out there untrained, 
and then address some of those other things. Otherwise, you'll, it's kind of the equivalent of having an emergency fund, to use Dave Ramsey math English here, mm-hmm. uh, for finance. You're never going to get ahead if you don't have a good emergency fund behind you. So you really need to start there first. Annual training. So there's very few OSHA regulations that actually require annual training. That really has become more of an expectation of the industries based on trying to keep up with things because they have a lot of turnover, maybe legal requirements, you know, legal liability issues come into play and people weren't trained. So they just say, hey, even though it's not an annual, we're going to make it an annual. But there are a few that require annual, like bloodborne pathogens would be an annual requirement. That's a good example there. Mm-hmm. And then refresher training, or what I call sus- you know, training to sustain everything. So OSHA doesn't have, might not have an annual uh, requirement. Your, your company might not have an annual requirement to do this stuff just because of a lack of resources. But we took it two or three years ago. There's a lot of other standards that aren't enforceable by OSHA, but they basically spell out the need to do this on a three-year row base, three-year time frame. So when in doubt, every three years to train your managers on things, to go back over OSHA safety programs or, or maybe OSHA record keeping and their role in it or whatever that is to you would be a, a best practice because you got to sustain everything. You put a lot of money and a lot of time getting everything organized and in, in place but then you really need to sustain that knowledge base. I kind of wanted to go back to that training combined with that safety audits. I think that doing those just sounds like a really powerful tool that a lot of people aren't using. And it's one I hadn't heard of. So what is the best way to use that to self-check for those expectations that OSHA has? I would say if, if you're really not sure where you're going with all that, and if you don't have job safety analysis done on all your hourly positions and or ergonomic physical demands analysis assessments done on your hourly positions, start there. Your job safety analysis on each position will give you a snapshot of everything you need to train them on. So. We definitely have more resources for that. There's local associations folks can get tied into, like the American Society of Safety Professionals. There's companies like Fit for Work that they can tie into for that as well. But it all really starts from a compliance standpoint or understanding the job from a job safety analysis. And if you don't have that, you really don't know the job. You have a lot of people that know how to do the job, but they don't know how to do it safely. Well, and I'm sure that that leads to where you get that that individual knowledge, but passing that knowledge on, I'm sure, becomes extremely difficult unless that job has been assessed external of that one person to pull that information. So how do you go about starting this? What would be like the planning phases to get a, a safety audit or performed? Sure. The first thing I always do is it's all in the planning. So, you know, in everything, doing it is not that hard. You know, you really want to make sure that you you have adequate time to plan. So there's a couple of key parts to that life cycle, if you will, of an audit. The first is who and how. So that's really your, you know, clear objectives. What is it that we want to audit? Do we want to do OSHA? Do we want to do DOT? Do we want to do environmental? Well, from a regulatory standpoint, you got to do all of it at some point in time, but is it really critical for you to do it right now? So you want to just determine what your objectives are, or even within an OSHA audit, maybe you're not doing the full building and books. We're not 
we're just going to look at the building. That's all we really want to look at is the hazards out there and are we in compliance. We'll deal with the written plans and the training later. So you really want to define your, your objectives. The second thing is, is roles. So when you're doing the audit, who's going to be in charge of it ultimately? Who's going to lead it? And what role is each of the audit personnel or the team going to play in that? The second part is, you know, why and what are you auditing? And a lot of folks just look at, we think of audits as, God, it's something I got to do. You know, well, it is. But are we really recognizing the value of what we can get out of that audit in terms of the people? Yes, the goal is compliance. But when we go out to do audits, opportunities are all around us. We just have to see with better eyes. Those opportunities to engage the employees about why something is a certain way it is, you know, and and looking at what they think might need to be changed. And I know there's a lot of fear out there. If I start to engage my employees, I'm going to get this huge tsunami wave of complaints that I have to deal with. Well, if leadership was easy, everybody would be doing it. <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a difference between leadership and management. And we really talk about environmental health and safety management or occupational health and safety management. Put whatever pejorative you want on it. It has to be led. Everything has to be led at some point. So we talk about planning, just understanding what our objectives are, what the roles everybody is going to play, why we're doing it and communicating that we're doing this for our people. And on the other side of the equation is the goal of compliance would be, you know, from a sailing standpoint internally would be the message that I always recommend. And that's a really good point to make sure that you're always looking for those successes and realizing that good change will come in the long run. It's going to be painful up front, but going through this with enough planning, it, it will be so much more productive than the pain that you go through. We've talked a lot about what Fit for Work has to offer, and I just want to give some context on how those services can help your company. And what most companies do is they try to tackle safety only with internal personnel. And while this is good, it usually leads to being overwhelmed and missing important details. Don't let that happen to you. And our mission isn't to take over safety and to tell you what to do. Instead, Fit for Work is there to be a reliable resource, a more reliable resource than Google, to help you improve safety at your company and take care of the most important valuable resource, your employees. Please visit our website, wellworkforce.com and click connect with us. Back to our interview. Have you found a, a specific benefit to having people do these who have say, oh, they need to be with the company at least five years or two years? Or what's the, what would you say who should be involved with these? I would say you look for a certain traits in individuals and these are skills, not knowledge. So we want to look for leaders. They don't have to have a title. They could be a tenured employee that really knows the process, managers that have come up, you know, and, and have done things from the ground up or all, always you kind of one of your first go-tos. But you get with that a little confirmation bias. And by that mean, I mean, those types of folks, while they have the most knowledge about the process, they also can be looking for ways to confirm why things have always been the way they are, you know. And what you're looking for in an audit ultimately is change, action. You want to look for things to change. So you got to be mindful of that. But some key traits or, or skills, patterns, 
would be ethical folks, you know, folks that are honest, um, whether they're in the hot seat or not. That's a good one. Ethical. They're objective about things and diplomatic. So they don't swing wildly emotionally with, you know, things are either are good or they're bad. And, you know, Hey, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll take accountability for that. So you're really looking for folks that are objective and diplomatic about things. Curiosity is like the hinge pin. You want folks to be curious. You can't be curious enough and good communicators. And then finally, just professional, just have a professional app, a mindset about things. So those would be the four top things that I look for in an audit team. Again, knowledge will come. You can do that with internal training for your audit team, but you're really looking for some specific traits like those. Well, and that makes a lot of sense that you, it's not so much the specific tenure of the individual, but those that are willing to explore. Because I know for me, I did an audit on a railroad car brake engagement and I've never done railroading in my life. So for me, I saw this as they were overexerting, but everybody else was like, well, that's just how you do it. And thanks to a outside perspective, that helped them realize we don't have to overexert as much as we are, or hey, maybe we need a tool assist. So that, that makes sense, those qualities. So what does the audits, what are some specific things that they need to make sure are included with that audit? Um, in terms of what and when, uh, some key concepts to help you manage audit overload. So folks look at an audit and they're like, oh my God, you know, there's so many things. Well, you want to kiss it at this point, especially if you're just getting started out. And by kissing it, keeping it simple, I would say you focused on four, four areas. Materials, are they safe? Equipment, is it in good working order? The environment, that's light, noise, things like that. And employees, are they f- just focus on safe activities, things that create safe activities or safe behaviors. Most of us know intuitively if something is a little bit out risk, you know, in terms of what employees are doing out there on the floor or on the production line. So the first recommendation I'd say is keep it simple. Just focus on materials, equipment, environment, employees. Those are your four boxes that you want to look at. Now, when, when trying to plan this out, you said planning is the most important. What tips do you have during the planning process? And what, what are those tips to help people succeed so they don't just do this and feel like it was a waste of time, but they really feel like it was a meaningful activity? Sure. First, when you're doing your planning, you know, obviously the first thing is kind of selecting your audit team and kind of knowing who the players are, who's going to play in this whole, this whole fun game that you're getting ready to, to take on. So you want to identify who they are and what their needs are. There might be, you might have to take a step back and do some, some general awareness OSHA training on certain topics just to get everybody kind of up to par. So that's, that's one thing looking at that. During the planning phase, when you finally get together as a group, I always recommend people at the very top of their planning, you're using a whiteboard or an easel. I recommend people, the folks in those, in those committees or those teams as they're doing this, write the word people, just two words, people and future. That's what your audit is about. Yes, it is about compliance, but we get so focused on checking the blocks and just getting things to the next milestone when we get out there in the doing part on the, on the floor, we need to be looking and open for those opportunities that are all around us to be curious, to maintain some diplomacy out there on the floor, to help the, the folks understand how to do jobs safely, or more importantly, help us understand why it's being done unsafely. And look for all of those opportunities to do both at the same time. 
we're not talking about going off the rails when you're doing the, and having 30 minute discussions. These happen in 30 seconds, 45 seconds, two and three minutes. Hey, thank you for your feedback. I really appreciate it. We'll get back to you, you know, and look for that when you're out there. And you do that during the planning phase. You focus on people in the future. Audits are also about the present and the past because the accountability is in the past. Why are things a certain way? Sometimes you have to answer that question. But we're moving to the future. It's not about the results. It's about what we're going to do about it. So that's about 25% of the time. Actually doing the audit, you want to plan for about 50% of your total time. And again, I'm going to allude back to being curious, engaging every, every employee or every leader on every level, and celebrate your findings, even if they're bad findings or non-compliant findings. Hey, thanks. This is awesome. We actually found something. Now we're going to actually do something about it. You got to sell it. And that's where you start selling it right there on the floor. The third part is reporting, which is maybe about 25% of the time. And maybe that's only one or two of your people in your whole audit team that do that. But again, I want to make sure to recommend fact-based, avoid any kind of inflammatory language like, you know, can hurt somebody or, you know, has a potential to, for a fatality. Keep that stuff out of there. That's not fact yet. And then the fourth is your corrective actions, which is kind of where you got to follow up and take the Band-Aid off and actually throw in stitches on, on your floor somewhere, you know. <laughs> right. So the main thing on your corrective actions is you want to do it soon and frequent follow-ups your, with your employees. If you've discussed stuff with employees, you found something and you can't get to it because it's maybe, you know, a capital expenditure for another, another year or something else, make sure you go back to them and let them know why. You know, hey, we, we can't get to this this year, but these are the things that we're going to do right now. We're going to put a barrier or a guard around it. We're going to put a sign. Be mindful of it. We're going to come back around to it. So you definitely want to follow up soon and frequently. Any questions, see our safety work order incentive program from our website. I, and I love the desire to reward and have that positive shift with it because just like you said, if you're able to address it, a lot of people fear the find, you know, they could want to dig their head in the sand instead of being like, no, this is great. This is exactly what we want. And to celebrate that with some form of incentive is, I mean, it's like having your kids find your weakness, right? So, I mean, they, they get excited for a chore like that, right? Exactly. Yeah. You got, at the end of the day, you have to figure out which one are you going to be? You're going to be the bull or the ostrich. The ostrich buries its hands. So everything that we t- talk about in terms of prevention mindset, it's all about being kind of bullish on, hey, I don't really know where this is going or how I'm going to get my hands around it, but I know I'm going to take the next step and try to find out and work together and, and celebrate it. Just sell it all day long. Yeah. Cover off, off shifts or night shifts. That's kind of the hear no evil, see no evil. They usually are the forgotten stepchild is how they feel usually. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know, you have less leadership there and and a lot of your challenges are maybe a little bit more difficult because of the different resources that are available on night shifts. So, yeah, cover off shifts, start the different, you know, if you start your audits in a certain way from a throughput standpoint, yeah, that's great. Um, You know, starting where product comes in and following where it goes out. But I recommend going all the way around to the back door, go to that back place where nobody ever goes. Start there and work your way out. And obviously having an attitude of pride is selling and instilling and holding people accountable in housekeeping. There is a, such a strong correlation to safety. I, I can't even, I don't have the words, you know, just remember about housekeeping. Nobody likes to do it. 
because it's a relative menial task. But we should have our leaders out there leading it, just like we do stretches or hydration or any of that other stuff, leading the way out there to do housekeeping and cleaning and, and always selling the employees about why we do things. It's about them. Oh, and I'm sure if they if if employees see a manager picking up something that's on the ground or doing something, obviously they don't have to do it all the time, but still just that if they see it, it starts at the top and it's much more likely to actually go down throughout the ranks, I'm sure. Absolutely. We have to do it and we have to let them see us do it. And it's just that's one of the four four elements of, of leadership is circulation, getting out there and seeing what's going on with your folks. And, and it's a challenge with leaders because you've got 9 million different things to do and you've got to check all these other blocks and keep all the plates spinning. But we're talking about 10, 15 minutes here, you know, right. every couple of days, you know, or just a few minutes on a shift just to come out and talk to folks. And, and one kind of final takeaway from a concept standpoint on audits, we, we always go through this process when we're helping folks get off the ground or maybe they've done audits all their lives and they have a, they have a, robust system in place. And the challenge is, is when we get out there, people are like, you know, can I really do it? And I like what Dr. Scott Geller says about empowerment audits. I call them action audits because they're not just an audit to check a block. They're, they're, they're to do something simple, similar to safety committees. I hate that term. I like safety action teams. Nice. We're getting together to actually do something with this. We may not be able to do it all, but we're going to focus on those one steps at a time and celebrate success. So Dr. Scott Geller, and if, if you're listening and you haven't looked him up, Google him, YouTube him. He's been around for a long time. He's got a really great take on things, really good on behavior-based safety. But he talks about empowerment. You have to essentially ask or answer four questions. And you got to answer the question of competence. Can I do it? Consequences. Will what I'm doing work? Will, will it give me the desired results? choice, do I have one, and community. And this is kind of the we versus me mindset. So when you look at action audits or doing safety training, you can, you can put this on whatever topic. If you can answer all four of those questions in any given endeavor, you have the opportunity for empowerment. And if we really are truthful with everything we do in safety and health, we can actually answer all four of these questions almost 95% of the time you know, with what we're doing in our, in our day-to-day activities. So competence comes into training. So we need to look at providing training for our audit team and our folks so that they actually feel more competent and comfortable with what they're doing. Consequences, if we do the audit, is it going to give us the results that we want, which is compliance, which it will if you keep at it long enough. Choice, Sometimes you want, you want to definitely choose to do your own audit versus having OSHA do it for you or, or environmental guys coming in. Right. We always have a saying, EPA does not play. They, they really kind of come in and hit you hard. Right. But community, it's, it's about people. You know, we, we get there through compliance. Compliance is the roadmap. It's the framework. And, yes, we have to do it. But the reasons why we're doing it, we're missing all these opportunities that, that tie into every stakeholder within the organization from, from the president to the CEO all the way down to HR and your line managers and the employees. We're missing these opportunities to move the needle forward in all these other boxes. So that's, that's what I would leave that encouragement to our listeners, you know, a word of encouragement. Just, just keep moving forward. Definitely. Well, I know it's kind of a personal experience. I used to get speeding tickets a lot. 
And I've learned that if you obey the speed limit, you don't have to fear cops. <laughs> and they're, they're no longer your enemy. I, I kind of like seeing police on the road now that I, but that's where I started off at. And now that I have my own children, I don't speed because I don't want to put them at any un, extra undue risk. So I think that's how we can view the same thing with OSHA. Like they're not the boogeyman. They are there just so you don't put yourself at undue risk. Absolutely. So I just kind of to sum up and review. So the kind of the four expectations that you say we need, employers need to work on is employer commitment and employee involvement, worksite hazard analysis, hazard prevention and control, and training. And they can go all of those things by doing that job safety analysis and going through those audits. That's where it starts, yeah. And they, they can go for other information, obviously, that they have workers' comp loss runs, OSHA logs, uh, physical demands analysis that are done at the ergonomic level, job descriptions, personal materials and equipment. It's, yeah, you can, there's, there's almost a limitless stream of information you can start with. But I would say if you haven't done a JSA on your position, start there and work through that because that's going to be the framework of everything that you have to prevent from your employees. It's going to be the training that you need to provide them. It's going to be all in that document. Plus that document then becomes a training tool. JSAs and PDA documents are training tools for leaders and managers as you, as you rotate in new staff. So make your HR job a lot easier. <laughs> Wonderful. I am so impressed and just welcome your knowledge because uh, OSHA is something that I know, like I said, didn't understand getting a little grasp on it, but it's great to have that. And I know our uh, all those listening will get a lot from what you just shared. So thank you so much for your time. And I really appreciate it. Thanks, Curtis. I really appreciate you having me. Well, that was great. Good job on your own, Curtis. I'm glad Thanks. you could handle, handle it without me. I really took away from that, that uh, OSHA isn't you know, it, it seems like this big, scary thing, but in reality, the rules and regulations are, are fairly straightforward. And sometimes, sometimes you just need a little guidance or, or to know where to look. Yeah, definitely. Because th there are resources available that OSHA's purpose isn't to come and wait for you to screw up and then drop the hammer on you. They want you to take care of your employees. And it's that simple. That's the whole core and the, the crux of the, the their mission. And it's not, ooh, how can we hurt these businesses, but how can we keep people safe? And so there are resources and force is just one of the many. And just to know that there's places people can go, I think can help them on their journey. There can be a guide for you that you don't have to try to slay that dragon per se of understanding it all on your own. Right. And I really liked it. I mean, he he mentioned it quite a few times that that this whole safety thing, you know, it's not necessarily about the rules and regulations. It, it it just comes down to it that it's about the people and keeping your people safe and and working and things like that. So that's that's one key part, not necessarily about OSHA, but I definitely like that he pointed out. Yeah, it's kind of a reoccurring theme in these podcasts, I've noticed. It's about people. <laughs> Crazy. Weird. Uh, we should change the title. <laughs> maybe. Uh, so that was just a great interview, and so we're very appreciative of Forrest and his time. And now we're going to be shifting gears again, where we are. our next guest is going to be James Rathbar. And James' is expertise is, is on ergonomics and helping our clients or whoever needs that help of 
looking at processes in a way to fit them to the individuals. So a lot of great experience that he's going to bring to the table. Looking forward to it. All right, then. I just want to thank you all for listening to this episode of Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. Please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, to get started preventing injuries, visit our website at wellworkforce.com. And please feel free to email us with any questions or comments at podcast at wellworkforce.com. And remember, prevention improves lives.